Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. This week, we have Danielle Abramson. She is the president of the International Dyslexia Association in Los Angeles, and we will talk all about dyslexia. What I find so interesting about dyslexia is that with this diagnosis, there really is a lot that can be done. Some of the most brilliant and successful people have a diagnosis of dyslexia, including Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, John Lennon, Jim Carrey, Steven Spielberg, and many more. So in this episode, we will talk about how to identify dyslexia, and Danielle gives many suggestions about how to help support a child with dyslexia. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at AskDrJessica, and make sure to subscribe, write a review, and share this podcast with a friend. All of this really makes a big difference to help this podcast grow. I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today, Danielle Abramson. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Tell everybody, what what do you do exactly? Who, who are you and what do you do? So I am an educational therapist, which means I work primarily one-on-one with students to build a toolkit of strategies based on their individual learning profiles. And the reason it's called educational therapist is because I also combine therapeutic strategies to focus on their social emotional development as it relates to school. So I specialize working with students in reading disorders or students who have ADHD um, or executive function deficits, giving them specific and individualized strategies to learn how they learn best and to apply those strategies in school and just generally in life. Now, can I ask, how did you get into the field of dyslexia? Did it just happen, just happen that way? Or is there something that gravitated you towards dyslexia? So it's kind of a long, I'll, I'll make a short, I'll give, do my best to give a short answer to this. Um, I have a younger sister with a neurological disorder called Rett syndrome, which is not related to dyslexia, but I grew up in a household where specialized education was just, it was just part of our daily life, seeing how she learned differently, um, had to express herself differently. So I was always exposed to different methods of learning and teaching and neurodiversity. So I went into general ed, taught in the classroom for about 10 years. I taught kindergarten and fifth grade. Always kind of gravitated towards students who were struggling academically. Um, Found myself just really wanting to focus on their needs, um, trying to provide them with different strategies that they needed to feel confident about themselves in the classroom. And then I stumbled upon the field of educational therapy, which I realized really kind of combined what I loved most about teaching. It's It kind of showed me that the goal is to build a student's self-esteem through giving them the support that they need to feel empowered about their learning. So as I became an educational therapist, many educational therapists work with students who have dyslexia. Um, A student who has dyslexia, oftentimes the typical method of teaching reading that is in schools doesn't necessarily work for them. So oftentimes they will need extra support. And that's kind of how I came into the field of dyslexia and Now I'm involved with the Los Angeles branch of the International Dyslexia Association. I was brought into that through another colleague of mine who is also an educational therapist. It's a completely volunteer-based nonprofit organization. Um, 
And yeah, that's kind of my long spiel about how I came into this field. So now my question about dyslexia, um, a lot of parents hear the term, they're aware of the term dyslexia, and they're confused as to when to think about it for their own children. So a common example that I see will be a parent will tell me they have, they have, let's say their first child was a really great reader by six, seven years old. And then their second child is reading, but at a slower pace. And they're not sure when to be concerned or when to talk to a specialist about it. So can you briefly describe what is dyslexia and what are some early clues parents should be looking for? Absolutely. So I think if we talk about what is dyslexia, in a nutshell, dyslexia is a learning disability in reading. It's neurobiological in origin, which means that a dyslexic person's neural networks are wired differently than someone who is neurotypical. It's characterized by difficulties with accurate or fluent word recognition, as well as poor spelling and decoding abilities. But these difficulties typically result from a deficit in the phonological component of language. So what that means is being able to identify speech sounds and learn how they relate to letters and words. One of the common misconceptions about dyslexia, and this is actually what dyslexia is not, so one of the common misconceptions of dyslexia is that maybe it's a visual processing problem. So oftentimes you'll hear parents say, my student or my child is writing their letters backwards, or they got the B confused with the D, or the P confused with the Q. And that is not necessarily what dyslexia is. Dyslexia is not a visual processing problem. It is a language processing problem. And while letter reversals could potentially be one of the many symptoms of dyslexia, it is most certainly not the only indicator and potentially not even any indicator at all. So can you describe an example? So if mm -hmm. it's not letter, you know, if, if so if letter reversal isn't a early sign, what what is an early sign? So if we take a look in the preschool years, some early signs could be mispronouncing words. So taking a word like teddy bear and saying Betty Tear. Difficulties in naming familiar objects, using more general words like thing rather than naming the specific objects. They could be having a hard time learning nursery rhymes, songs that rhyme. Um, they could be telling stories that are difficult to follow or not logical in order. And then as you get a little bit older into, let's say, kindergarten through second grade, it could be particularly kindergarten, end of kindergarten, difficulty learning the letter names and the corresponding sounds they make. They could be struggling to read familiar and simple words. They could be substituting words when reading aloud, like home for house. Um, difficulty separating individual sounds in a word or blending those individual sounds to make a word. Um, difficulty remember and applying spelling rules. I think what's so hard is so much of what you're describing is also normal. It's normal. And it really depends, too, on the age and the developmental stages at which the child is. So if you take a look, again, as I kind of just touched on the preschool age. So if you take a look kind of at what we would call the first stage of reading development, it's known as the emergent pre-reader. 
This is typically, let's say, six months until six years old. So six months until kindergarten. Okay. And the brain is not yet developed in a way that is able to integrate visual, verbal, or auditory information, which means that biologically, students really are not developmentally ready to learn to read before four, even five years old. In preschool, they may have some exposure to letters, early literacy, but they certainly should not be expected to know all their letters and letter sounds by the end of preschool. They can likely identify some letters, especially the ones in their names, but it's not necessarily expected. So if you have a student who's graduating pre-K and going into kindergarten, and they don't know their letters, and they don't know their letter sounds, but their older sibling did, at that point, that would not be a concern because developmentally, it's not appropriate and it's not necessary. When they go into kindergarten, that's when a more direct, explicit instruction of phonics or teaching letter and sound correspondence is introduced. By the end of kindergarten, you do want your child to have a solid grasp of what's called phonological awareness skills. Being able to rhyme, being able to segment words into first, middle, final sounds, um, to be aware of syllables and word parts. And you do want them to have a good handle on all letters and corresponding sounds. At the end of kindergarten, they'll also probably start reading what are called CVC words, words such as sit, hop, cat. But at this point, letter reversals are completely normal and typical. So what would you say is the first clue parents might notice that their child's developing dyslexia or has dyslexia? So dyslexia does impact different students in different ways. And that is one of the frustrating things is I can't necessarily sit here and say this is a sure sign of dyslexia. But some of the symptoms or some of the things that you can look out for are kind of as I referred to before, if your um, student in pre-K is struggling with remembering nursery rhymes or when they sing their ABCs, they struggle to remember the order of the letters. Again, not recognizing what the letters look like visually, but remembering to uh, sing the alphabet in its sequence. Um, again, mispronunciation of words, um, disorganization with their storytelling, which I think I just mentioned, correct? Um, another thing, too, would be at the end of kindergarten, this phonological awareness, which, again, is understanding that language is broken up into word parts. That is definitely a key that we may want to just keep our eyes peeled for this. If they are struggling to identify the initial sound of in cat, what's the first sound you hear in cat? If by the middle of kindergarten, the student is not able to break apart that sound and say k, then something to keep an eye on and to think about. But by the end of kindergarten, you do want your student to have their letters and letter sound correspondences. Again, if they don't, it is not an immediate moment for panic, but it is something that you just want to 
be aware of. I've also heard that children with a diagnosis of dyslexia tend to get frustrated when when they're asked to read. Um, is that true? And at what age should parents be concerned? Because I know a lot of kids, you know, maybe they're bored by the material or they're just too busy and they want to play. Um, is there is there any truth to that? Definitely. I think for students who do have dyslexia, um, especially kind of when you enter first grade developmentally, they begin to notice a little bit more what their peers are able to do what they're not able to do. And they may have a little bit of frustration in reading aloud because it may not come as naturally to them. And so I think that that is something to note too. Does your child not enjoy reading aloud and they're struggling with these phonological awareness skills? Are they struggling with phonics, identifying the letter and sound correspondences? All of those things together certainly can be signs of dyslexia. So phonics, just to clarify for everybody listening, that's so if you were to say, what's the letter D and what sound does it make? Correct. Okay. Exactly. It is teaching the letters and then the sounds that they make. Okay. So Danielle, if a child does get a diagnosis of dyslexia or a parent is suspicious that they may have this diagnosis, what are the next steps a parent should take? Where should they go for help? So first, if a parent is suspicious that their child may have dyslexia, what you would do is in a public school, you would go to your school psychologist and ask them to do an assessment. Or if you'd like, you can go to a private or outside psychologist or neuropsychologist for an evaluation. If it comes back that they indeed do have dyslexia, you can do several things as first steps. So the first thing you wanna do is you definitely want to get informed. One of the ways that you can get informed is you can visit our website, dyslexialA.org, for information and resources. There are parent handbooks on what to do in the event of a dyslexia diagnosis. You can find the California's dyslexia guidelines on there. If you're not in the LA or California area, you can go to IDA's national website, dyslexiaida.org, for more resources. One of the things I would say is a lot of times parents are told to take the wait and see approach. Wait and see, they'll catch up, they're very bright, there's no need to worry. The truth is, the earlier the intervention, the more likely your child is to have success. And they can have success if they receive the right support and the right amount of support. So follow your parent intuition. I feel like as parents, we sometimes just have this inner gut feeling. Like, I just feel like something else is going on. Follow that intuition. And especially if you are noticing some of the signs that we talked about previously in the episode, seek out an assessment, seek out um, a screener to see if there are next steps you should do to treat, to treat your child. This is really helpful. And I'll make sure to put a, a link or a description below with all of the resources that you mentioned. For sure. Now, I have a family whose child was recently diagnosed with dyslexia, and the parents are opting to do a course over the summer um, called the Orton-Gillingham Method. And it seems yes. pretty intense. The mom was describing, you know, I think a six-week program all day. Is this something that you would advise? Is this typical? Because she asked me, and I wasn't sure. 
So the answer is yes and no, in the sense that dyslexia can impact different students in different ways. So it depends on the severity of dyslexia. It depends on the way in which the student is is impacted by it. So the one thing I will say is the Orton-Gillingham approach, yes, that is the way to go for a student who has been diagnosed with dyslexia. The Orton-Gillingham approach is a research-based and evidence-based method that uses structured literacy, in other words, an explicit, systematic way of teaching the fundamentals of reading. It uses multi-sensory strategies to best fit the student's needs. So if you are looking for a practitioner or a reading instructor to work with your child who has dyslexia, it is of the utmost importance that they have some background or training in the Orton-Gillingham approach. Now, there are different curricula and different programs that have adapted the Orton-Gillingham approach. So you may have heard of Linda Mood Bell or Wilson or Hegarty, Slingerland. These are all different curricula and different approaches that are based on the Orton-Gillingham approach. So like that parent that I talked to where they are going to invest in the summer program for the Orton-Gillingham, that's a reasonable program to look into. Yes, yes, it definitely is. And when I said before, I think I said yes and no when you said, is this reasonable? Some students may not necessarily need an all-day, six-week intensive. Some students may need two, three times a week for an hour um, each time. It totally depends on where the student is at. And that's why it's called an approach, the Orton-Gillingham approach, and not necessarily the Orton-Gillingham program or curriculum because the purpose of it is to see where each student is at and to meet them at their level. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything that parents can do on their own at home? So I think in every, I mean, the first thing I would say is when students are young, it is incredibly important. You've probably heard this from teachers, but to do shared reading activities together. So to be reading bedtime stories, um, even in kind of everyday life, pointing out the different letters, doing lots of rhyming activities, doing lots of multi-sensory activities. So using shaving cream or sand, things that are tactile, if you're exposing your students to letters and letter sounds. Um, they can also, I think one of the best ways is, or a way that I like to support a lot of my students, is engaging the parents in the teaching. So if I've taught a reading rule to one of my students that week, I'll say to the parent, okay, can you try and play the I spy game with them this week? This is the letter or this is the reading pattern that we've focused on. So see if when you're out and about in the grocery store driving and you see a bulletin board, see if you can say, I spy the EA vowel team. EA says E, I spy that on that bulletin board over there and the word, I don't know, beat, right? <laughs> so, so really engaging the children in in the speech and in the, the use of language. And partnering with the educational support team is very important as well. You also want a practitioner who is willing to collaborate with the parents. Yes, dyslexia is affecting the student and the child, but it is so important to 
bring in the parents and to bring in the family to make sure that the student is getting the support they need as well as the parents. So once they do get the assistance, in your experience, do do kids improve? Do they get better? What can parents expect for their child's future academic success? Yes. The answer is yes. Many students actually find strength and empowerment in, in acknowledging their struggles. They learn to advocate for themselves. They learn to become leaders. So many people with dyslexia go on to be successful in a variety of fields. In my own experience, I've actually also found that if it is age appropriate, explaining a bit of how the brain works, how a dyslexic brain works, that actually ends up freeing the student a bit from a lot of the self-doubt and frustration that they feel because they now understand this is how my brain is wired and here are the steps I need to take for myself to learn how to cope and tackle some of my challenges. And dyslexia is often treatable. Students often improve. And again, it just comes down to making sure you are partnering partnering with the right support team. And I think it's very important for parents to vet who they are having their child work with. Make sure they have the training. Make sure they have the credentials. Because it does require a specific method that is proven in research. That's really helpful. And I also like to point out to parents that this has nothing to do with their child's IQ. Absolutely not. This does not mean they're not smart on the contrary. Not even remotely. Dyslexia is not related to someone's intelligence. It may impact their learning, but it does not impact their intellect or their capacity for learning. And I think I'm so glad you brought that up because that is something that is very important for students to know, for parents to know. And yeah. How common is dyslexia, by the way? It's actually relatively common in the sense that it's estimated up to 15 or 20 percent of the population has a language-based learning disability. Um, It affects males and females nearly equally as well. So it's actually far more common than I think people realize. Can you talk about the genetics of dyslexia? Do we know if there's a genetic correspondence? Yes, dyslexia often runs in families. About 40% of siblings of people with dyslexia may also struggle with reading, and as many as 49% of parents of kids with dyslexia have it as well. So it can be genetic. Wow. Mm -hmm. I've had parents where they recognize their diagnosis as an adult, and it was very freeing for them. So as you were saying before, actually getting the diagnosis can be very um, affirming, make you feel like there's, you know, I think it can be nice to actually understand what is happening with your brain and why it's happening. Absolutely. I think it almost takes the onus and pressure off of you as a person once you realize this is how my brain is set up. But there are things I can do to work with it. And I think, you know, I think there's a real sense of empowerment that comes with that. And different parents choose to take the approach of talking to their student about the diagnosis or not. I have parents who are very open with their students about their dyslexia diagnosis, and I have parents who aren't ready yet to have that conversation. Sure. It completely depends on the family dynamic, on how old the student is. Um, and so it just, it just depends on a case-by-case basis, but I agree. I think it can be very freeing. 
Well, this is so great. I think for parents that are out there, I think it's really helpful to know what signs to look for. I think it's so helpful to know when there is a diagnosis that there is a plan in place or there are programs available for them to seek help. Um, And I think it's also really helpful to know that it gets better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember on my pediatric boards, they asked if a child switches their B's and D's at seven years old, is that a sign of dyslexia? And, and it's not, no. it's yeah. not. And people are like, what? They don't, you know, that's kind of the common myth is it's you see letters backwards or you write them backwards. Right. And it's like, that's actually very age appropriate until right. you're in like first grade, second grade. And I think what's so hard is that if children get frustrated from reading because they're dyslexic and it's not picked up early, then that can be a self-perpetuating issue. Like the more you don't like reading, the more you don't want to read, the more you don't want to read, the harder school gets. And so I do think an early diagnosis is really helpful. It is. And it's hard. I mean, I'd actually be so curious to hear your thoughts from a pediatrician's perspective. It's so hard, I think, to to not come off as an alarmist, but to also be like, if there's anything that you think could be going on, act on it. Like, the, you know what I mean? I don't know. Right. I just am like such a proponent of that. But right. right. No, I, I think there's so many examples in childhood development where, where early action makes makes it better All in the, the long difference. run. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think one last thing, as we touched on before, is that a dyslexia diagnosis can feel very overwhelming and the future can seem uncertain. But the most important part of the journey is to preserve and build your child's self-esteem And so it's really important to be proactive, to build a community around your family and your child so that you all have the support you need. And we each have our own strengths and weaknesses. It's important to acknowledge them, to understand them. And that way we can help our students move forward and move upward. Very well said. Sometimes I find too that when children have struggles in certain areas, they can almost compensate even more so in other areas and flourish. Absolutely. And I think, too, that's why, you know, oftentimes with students who have dyslexia, they have such high emotional intelligence and high EQ, and they become leaders in, in their classrooms or in their environment because they are leaning on other strengths that they have. And so making your child aware of those strengths, celebrating them is another way to just support them in building their their self-esteem, their sense of identity. Thank you so much. It was so helpful to have you on and I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something and I hope to see you back here next week.